Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. New Zealand serve up another all-time classic of a test match, beating Sri Lanka by the barest of margins with the final ball of the Christchurch test. That result means that India will face Australia in the World Test Championship final. Those two drew the final test of the Border Gavaskar Trophy, while an extremely imbalanced England side lost three T20Is of little significance to them, but great significance to the victors Bangladesh. I'm Yaz Rana and with me today is Ben Gardner and Joe Harmon. Mark Butcher will be dialing in from Pakistan later in the show. Let's start with that New Zealand test match. All four results very much on going into the final over of the fifth day. New Zealand needed eight runs. Sri Lanka needed three wickets. Sri Lanka needed that win to retain hopes of World Test Championship final qualification. And Kane Williamson with an unbeaten fourth innings 100 dives in as he and the injured Neil Wagner scramble through for a bye to the keeper. Um, Williamson is in by an inch. New Zealand win another classic. Ben, just a ridiculous finish and one to rival, maybe even trump the one against England a couple of weeks ago. I guess when you look at it, it's just in terms of the pure historic nature of it. Like, And actually, what happens more often is it runs being chased at the very, very last scheduled ball of the fifth day, or is it uh, wins following on? It's actually winning all the last ball of the fifth day that's rarer. So from that point of view, it's trumped it. Uh, and it, yeah, this was just uh, absolutely incredible. And the last half hour in particular just had kind of everything from a point when I guess that's the thing with these chases that even though it often looks like a team is kind of home and dry and kind of way out in front and that sort of thing that so often they just seem to get tight when they when they don't like a team sees the finishing line and suddenly weird things start happening um and yeah it was it was so good Adi Sharma wrote a really good piece on this site just cap recapping that that half hour and all the crazy things that happened just things like even just details with like the the DJ just really amping up I think it was uh Sandstorm by Darud was the the soundtrack just before the final over started, and just before the final ball, uh, the floodlights just all of a sudden all just kick into action as if it's like a this is the final moment now. This this is this is what's going to happen. Uh, yeah, it was so good, and also it was just a brilliant test overall as well. And I guess maybe from that point of view, it's the it's got the edge on the England test because that was one where England were just wet in front, and then the rest just New Zealand slowly clawing that back. Whereas this did ebb and flow more I guess on day one you had Kussel Mendes batting like a dream Saudi bowling really well and then New Zealand what 180 for six or something and then come back through a Mitchell 100 and a uh, and Matt Henry had a really good game probably unlucky not to be player of the match with a what a rapid 70 and seven wickets and then Angelo Matthews is kind of a bit a little bit of a master of the third inning sometimes like he just knows how to navigate those situations and to extract the absolute most out of it and then obviously uh the final day and one as well that because I, I was sort of thinking like might stop to watch quite a bit of this and then it was raining and you think like oh that's gonna be a real shame if Sri Lanka's kind of world to championship tilt is just ruined by rain on the last day and they got themselves in such a good position and actually they ended up helping things because it was that sort of the, the squeezed time as well which made New Zealand's chase so audacious that much more likely to have that very very last ball drama as we saw. 
going to have to bring you up on your pronunciation of Darude. I'm pretty sure it's Darude, isn't it? Is it Darude? Okay. Pretty sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, Yaz just... would know in these, these matters. <laughs> <laughs> it is just great, Ben, to see Sri Lanka doing this well. I know it's a shame that they didn't qualify for the final, but it's been a quite a few is years. Is it definitely a shame? I was thinking this this morning because there's, you've got the underdog story, which is obviously yeah. compelling. And in the wider context of test cricket, it's great to see sides outside the big three who don't get those opportunities doing well. But when it comes to the oval in in June, would we really want Sri Lanka up against Australia in these conditions? Maybe okay, maybe yeah. different if we were in, if we were in Asia, but I think the final i think i think we've got the right final really in terms of that still the the wtc in its infancy needs all the kind of energy and oxygen it can get and it's going to get that from australia india and i think they have been the best two sides over this cycle really uh, i think the table sort of does everything justice uh, and I think you always get that in world tournaments in whatever sport really a few shocks along the way are great and really exciting but when you get to the really big games you kind of want the best sides playing each other I think as a personal view because that's kind of what you sign up for in, in the first place so not obviously I wouldn't have begrudged Sri Lanka if they'd got there it would have been a great story but I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the way things have played out really I think yeah I think you're right actually having been quite on the romantic side of the, the marriage side of the story with if Sri Lanka got there, that would have I, that would have been nice in, in my head. And also, it just would have been funny as well if, you know, India with uh, all the, all their might somehow miss out, but like uh, almost through their own fault, I guess. But I think you are you are right about that. I guess the only thing is to say on Sri Lanka is that they are they are good. Like they genuinely deserved the chance that they got at the final. Trying to work out kind of why they're good. And to begin with, they get much more beyond them. They have lots of really good batters. They always produce lots of good spinners and they have a growing group of of fast bowlers and they always seem to have three at least who are fit that they can that they can pick and uh and and can do, do a job i guess like because even in this game they didn't have what well, vishwa fernando wasn't in this game uh they didn't have patham nasanka as well i mean because alpera has been out of the the frame for a while but that's like th- 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 there is strength in debt that for a long time well. they've had lots of batters who are clearly very talented have in short burst done very well but it's been rare where multiple Sri Lankan batters have had good runs over a period of time. And actually looking at the top seven, is like you'd expect that that is one of the stronger batting lineups and more stable batting lineups in Test cricket at the moment. And they, and it seems like more and more they can actually really bank on those players who should be bankers. Like I think sometimes you get an issue with, with sides. When, when, some players, when a player becomes established and they can have a, a run of poor form and it's a weak side, so there's no one really pushing the door down to, to get in for them. And actually that could be something holding back. With like Chandamal now is having like a sort of a, a second peak or whatever he's like averaged 100 last year i think um and i think i know we've talked about chris silverwood before but it is it is worth reiterating uh it was a really brave move to go straight back into coaching an international team especially you know doesn't speak the language right after what happened with england um and you could easily have just said like, i'm just going to take a bit of a break off i'm sure there would have been a county gig going uh when he felt like he wanted to get back in but he chose to do this um i guess his experience of uh of coaching a slightly volatile environment has uh has paid off uh, and I think he's there's there's an element as well where he's able to sort of just cut through the noise and just focus just on the groove players he has in front of him like he basically he gets handed a groove he's like fine I'm gonna I'm gonna you know take these and do what I can and, and you know as much as it's Schlanker just have good players you do have to give him credit for the fast bowlers being as good as they are even for Chandamal 
being as good as he was last year. Like, if you can't credit the coach for, for players and points performing under them, what can you credit him for? Alex Oss, of the Fad Four, who is the greatest Test match player? I think you can make a good argument for all four of them. But if you have to pick one, who are you going for? Alex says it's Steve Smith. Um, I personally don't think it's Williamson, but this was just another reminder of just how good he is. And during the Test matches, overall career average uh, went above that of Sachin Tendulkar. And he's only played three Tests fewer than Smith, who I think has widely agreed to be the best Test player of the four. But he's only got three fewer centuries as well. Joe, it's an extraordinary record. And there were murmurings that maybe that because uh, of, his, of his dodgy elbow, he might have lost it a little bit. And then he gave up the captaincy not that long ago. But that's 305 games now in the, in the post-captaincy phase of his career. And he's only 32. You kind of forget that given how long he was captain for. But he could still have a very long way to go. Yeah, I mean, it's an incredible record he's, he's put together, um, particularly at home. Um, I think... Yeah, when, when long-standing captains give up the role, there's always that question, how are they going to slot back into the ranks? Is their ego going to be able to handle it? Are they just going to slip away from Test cricket quite quickly? I don't think those concerns were ever there with Williamson because that's just not his character, really. I think, if anything, it suits him better to be in the background. He was a very good captain, but he wasn't necessarily a kind of demonstrative captain who led from the front in an obvious sense. Um, Gary Stead, the New Zealand coach, said at the time of his retirement, this might give us a few more years of Williamson in Test cricket. Uh, and I think that's probably what they're going to get. I think it looks really promising. Tim Southey is a 34-year-old seamer as their captain. Feels like nothing more than a stopgap. But I think when you look at the whole situation, I think it's it's actually falling quite well for New Zealand here. And Williamson's record, I in my head, I thought it had a bit of a blip, to be honest. And I was looking at his record and he hasn't really. I think... One thing that's maybe developed a bit in his later career is he gets a few more low scores, but when he gets in, he goes big, which actually at the very start of his career, uh, he made a lot of 50s and didn't go on to 100s. I'm talking a long time ago now. Uh, he's just, once he's in, he's just almost impossible to dislodge and he can play in various different ways. He can play more expansively when the situation requires. Um, and I think... Again, when you're talking about a player of his age who has given up the captaincy in Test cricket, you think, well, maybe do you move away from Test cricket? Do you just play the shorter formats? And Williamson's a very good white ball player, but he's so clearly best at Test cricket. So he so clearly better suits his makeup as a player, his mentality as a player. Um, that I don't think there's a risk of that happening really either. So I think, you know, we could have another five, six years of Kane Williamson as a Test cricketer. His numbers could be absolutely astonishing by the end if, he, if he's got the will and determination to do it and I think he's of the the big four the fab four there are advantages and disadvantages to being from New Zealand you don't get to play as much it's obviously a significant disadvantage but you also don't have the levels of pressure that that Root that Coley and Smith have had and I think that probably benefits longevity as well so yeah we might have quite a few more years of this um can I just say before we move on that we Ben mentioned Daryl Mitchell's innings, but what what a player he's become because he's averaging fifty nine in Test cricket now from what seventeen Test matches, so it's not a tiny sample size. That's twenty runs more than his first class average. The, the it's kind of um, sort of Labuschagne esque, really, and that is a player that there was almost no signs that this was going to happen, and it still feels in the case of Mitchell a bit odd that it has. But he's doing it for long enough that you kind of have to just say, well, maybe he is that, that good a player, even though perhaps people didn't anticipate it, he would be. He usually saves it for England. Um, but, but, but this innings was really... Williamson played the headline innings, but, but Mitchell, I think Ben rightly said, that 
Matt Henry had a brilliant game and should have been in the mix of player of the match. But I think Mitchell deserved it for that first innings 100 and then the 80, which effectively allowed Williamson's knock to be a match-winning one. No, he, Mitchell's career is amazing. I guess he just has like a, a level of assurance in his own game and that late entry into test cricket might help some players with that. Ben, just a word on Neil Wagner. That could be his last test match. He turned 37 on the final day and uh, I didn't really mention it at the start, but he was very injured. He had more than one injury whilst he was sprinting down for that final run. I think Neil Wagner is the kind of cricketer who always has more than one injury on the go. Uh, he's kind of, at this point, held together by kind of masking tape and, and just pure anger, I think. Uh, and it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was an amazing moment because uh, he, so he, what, so what, what was this finish? I think it was a, something wrong with his hamstring broken toe I think which I think he maybe just always has and also a bulging disc somewhere which sounds very uncomfortable and yet it wasn't just that he sprinted the single he sprinted out to the middle as sort of a message to Williamson being like I'm ready for this and to Sri Lanka being like you're not going to get any uh <laughs> any any cheap runs saved here kind of thing um and yeah look he's he's been absolutely uh incredible for New Zealand has done everything that they've kind of asked and more I mean you know he's he's become this sort of, you know, Glenn McGrath of, of, of the bouncer in terms of his accuracy and his relentlessness with that. And yet there have been times when there's been one test, it might have been against Sri Lanka actually, I can't remember, but when there was an injury to uh, one of the other bowlers on the final day. And so he just becomes a swing bowler again and takes five wickets doing it that way. Uh, yeah, it, if, if this is his last test, it's a very, very fitting way to go. But I mean, who knows with him because he will extract absolutely everything out until he's you know more machine than man kind of thing and he's he's over here this summer as well isn't he for a bit of county grind just to just to patch himself up for a few months of endless overs in april and may i don't know if the injuries are going to be serious enough to put that in in any doubt but i kind of imagine he'll just be here on day one ready to go yeah i guess you're talking about new zealand schedule potentially being beneficial to williams i think it's beneficial to wagner as well he just kind of gives it absolutely everything for four tests in a home summer paul asks this is a really good question if you were bowling and the opposition needed one to win off the last ball of a test match what would you do it struck me as a bit odd in that clip that there were no fielders in the camera view and the keeper was standing back i get why the keeper was standing back especially as fernando was clearly clearly wanting to bowl it short but ben you made the point that Shranka were in quite a weird position in terms of they kind of knew that the in that last over a lot of things were changing their predicament around the world test championship was changing so it was quite hard to think clearly and actually maybe you have somebody in really short to sprint to the stumps to, to get the run out but other than that there's, there's not really that much else you can do in that position yeah and there's also the factor of that I think they'd already gone way past the scheduled close in terms of time um so and obviously so they would have been under pressure to get round from that point of view as well. And, and, and yeah, because they, they needed to win, obviously, to keep their World to Championship hopes alive. So actually, by the time the final ball came, although it was, um, uh, you know, there was still, they still obviously didn't want to lose the game because they want to be able to win a series in New Zealand. Uh, there would have been that at play as well. They think like, oh, actually, this has kind of gone. I, I can see how your heads kind of go a bit. And that's what happens in this in these tight situations. Like this is That's far from the most egregious error that a team has made when, you know, a test match has got close. You go back to, I don't want to bring up Headingley 2019. Sounds like you do. <laughs> um, Tom Hickson of Smithfield is an award-winning online premium butcher that specialises in supplying the finest produce from around the world. With their exceptional selection of superb cuts, supplying high-end London and Mayfair restaurants, hotels and pitmasters across the UK, you can indulge in restaurant-quality meat delivered straight to your doorstep this Mother's Day. Tom Hickson's carefully sourced ranges of Wagyu beef 
Iberico pork, New Zealand lamb and free-range poultry from the best suppliers in the world. Tom Hickson's have got you covered this Mother's Day from juicy steaks and succulent ribs to savoury sausages and tender briskets. Enjoy an exclusive 15% off your order using code WISDOM15. We'll leave that in the description for you later. The final India-Australia test was played at a very different tempo to the first three games. This one didn't come that close to result. Uh, Virat Kohli scored his first Test 100 since 2019. Usman Khawaja put together an epic of his own and Shubman Gill continued his ridiculous year across formats for India. Joe, a 2-1 defeat is the joint best result by a touring side in India over the last 10 years, uh, equaling what Australia did themselves the last time they went. How do you think this, this tour should be remembered? And how, how do you think Australia should be feeling? They, they've lost it, but it's also it's a pretty good loss. Yeah, it's a tricky one to get your head around, isn't it? Because, I mean, I said at the start, I didn't give them much of a chance, but I think quite a few people did. But then at 2-0 down, and given the manner of the defeats, they looked absolutely stuffed. So I think to come away two, with a 2-1 defeat after the first two tests is a, is a great result for them, really. I, I, I think it is. And I, I didn't really expect them to do any better than that at the start. So I, I think really it's probably about as much as you can hope for as a touring team out there, a touring team with some quite clear deficiencies. The, the spin department stacked up a lot better. The Aussie spin department stacked up a lot better than I think a lot of people thought they would. I know Dravid said it was the best overall team of spinners that, that they'd faced since Swan and Panasar, I think, which, you know, is, is it's a long time ago now. Um, and there's inexperience there. Todd Murphy was actually obviously a, a great result to come out of that series. Lyon was back to his best for a lot of it. Um, I think there's a lot of positives for Australia to, to take and a few that I didn't see in there. Um, it, it does look still like an aging side that is coming to the end of something here. Um, as does India as well in, in some ways. So it's quite an interesting uh, final that we've got in store, which is, you know, the, the culmination of, of the, the Test Championship cycle, but also feels like maybe the culmination for quite a lot of those players' careers. Um, will Warner play in that final? It looks like he probably will from what Andrew McDonald has, has been saying, but I don't think he's got much uh, kind of to run after that. I think average is mid-20s in, in, in England. So there's no guarantee that, that he'll play the Ashes. Um, so yeah, it was a sort of almost kind of as as you were really, and probably about as much as you could hope for in a, in fearsomely demanding conditions out there. I, I kind of see what you're saying, and that that, I, that there is definitely a case you made that Australia should be kind of happy with this, but it is also still a missed opportunity. I think, like if you go back, there's, I guess there's two things. You go to the first test, the non-selection of, of Travis Head, uh, and then with how well he did in the rest of the series, you're looking like like just what what what's gone on there basically. And then with and then and then in the second test, uh, just that collapse when you know they they all just started sweeping it for for no real reason. It even seemed like it was a plan. They just all kind of had a shared collective thought at once, and then just all just got out basically the same way. Uh, those two things should bug them, I think, and especially because as much as you know touring sides don't go to India and, and come away with, with even this result. This is an Indian side that more than any in the last decade, really, since that 2012 series or since at least a few years after that, has been like vulnerable. And also Australia managed to sort of expose some of those vulnerabilities to an, to, to an extent that we might not have seen. Like, you know, Rohit obviously made that brilliant 100 in the first innings of the first test. And I don't think made it to 35 the rest of the series. Like if you've got Pant out and you're limiting Rohit to that degree... 
then you're out for the series as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 also, and then from the batting point of view, although they obviously struggled against the the spinners overall, they kind of decoded and diffused the Akshar Patel threat when he's been such a big factor in India's you know success over the last what year and a half kind of thing. Uh, so I think, and I think the other thing, I think I might be in a minority of almost one on this, but I think if, if I were an Australia fan, I'd be slightly deflated at their approach in the last test as well. Like, I think I maybe I've just been watching England a bit too much, but if you, if you're two, one down in the series, like kind of what have you got to lose? And yet, and I know their path to victory was extremely narrow after they got India out on the, on the final evening. But I, I, if, if Ben Stokes were the captain in that situation, maybe England would, England would probably have lost the game. But what they would have done would have been try to score really, really quickly. And at that point, if you only need to score at that speed for, what, the, the last half an hour on that day and then for a session and then maybe like a couple of absolutely mad overs after lunch. And then you have, you know, the final two sessions on a wearing pitch. Everything has to go right there. It's very unlikely to happen. But equally, you're 2-1 down and from like, what, three days in, Australia were basically at that point just content to settle for a creditable 2-1 defeat, which is, you know, fine. It's it, creditable. It, it, is, it is creditable, but equally it's, it was just, it was a bit of, and also, I mean, yeah, this has also been, as Border Gavaskar trophies go, you know, what, actually no close tests, right? And also just not, none, very little of the niggle that makes these series so enjoyable sometimes, but from the first day you had the, the Jadeja finger cream gate, uh, and then since then... Even what, that wasn't much, was it? Exactly. It, felt, you know, it all felt very nicely nice. And I think I, I absolutely, I, I take that point about the way Australia played. I guess it all comes down to how much you value the draw. And we know that Ben Stokes does not value the draw. And actually, a draw in India is, you know, perceived as quite a valuable thing because it's so hard to do anything out there at all. Um, but certainly that was an India side that were vulnerable and they and they were not there for the taking, certainly. But there were there were chinks in the armour that could have been better exploited. And I suppose if from an Australian point of view, if you think, well, Smith and Labashay and say they need to score big runs if we're going to win this series. Between them, they passed 50 once in eight knocks. So, you know, that's, that's your best players not playing at their best. And you've come away with a 2-1 defeat. Perhaps there could have been a bit more, but I just, I, yeah, I just didn't really see it as a realistic possibility at any stage throwing it forward to the uh the world test championship final to are we just going to ignore Coley getting a test 100 altogether you mentioned it i, I mentioned it okay, and fine, fine, you know fine. quite a few people got run this game That's and true, yeah. they only took 22 wickets across the whole test match yeah. um but it's throwing, not like he scores them every week though is it that is true it, well you had the stat of since september 2022 only shubman gill has more international hundreds than that, in the world. that wasn't my stat that was a uh, wizen india social editor uh shubman pande okay. stat and then i said that since march 12th or something he's got the most international hundreds out of anyone but joe you've got the world test championship final that, that you wanted and your point on the ages is a good one that india team is really old so they had six players in that test match who were 34 and over and only shubman gill was under the age of 28 for india so it's it feels like the coming to you're coming towards the end of two of this era's most successful teams. You've got the added complication that it's just a week after the IPL. Yeah. So neither side is going to be that acclimatised. You might have a couple of players playing in the county championship, but not more than, than Smith and Abishane. And Pajara. But yeah, I mean, that, that's going to be a huge event here at the Oval. How, how, do you, how do you see that going? I mean, you don't get many neutral test matches. No, it's a really, really hard one to pick. I mean, I, I would lean towards Australia in these conditions, I think. Um, I think they'll probably have slightly better preparation. The IPL is so dominating in India. I think 
attention isn't going to turn until that match until quite late in the day whereas albeit a lot of Australians are at the IPL I think that that will be much more of a focus also they're building up to something in 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 the ashes whereas in India again like they came over last summer it's a sort of a bit of a one-off slightly odd occasion um India will obviously be desperate to win having been beaten by New Zealand uh surprisingly last time um but yeah I think I would I would lean just towards Australia but I think I just hope it's a really high quality game I think it will I think it will be close but the concern is with the IPL right up, that's the, right pushing up against the deadline that you get players arriving who are a bit knackered, haven't played Red Bull cricket for a while. Is it really going to do justice to the whole cycle that we try and talk up as much as possible, but often doesn't quite deliver in terms of a coherent tournament? Like, are we going to get the finale that we deserve? Not sure on that. I really, really hope you so. You want a five-day test match. You don't want uh, a team that's not faced Red Bull for two months to, to face the Dukes ball on an overcast morning and they're, you know, they're 50 for seven or something like that. So you need, you need proper runs. You need whoever bats first to get proper runs and who, and then the, the team to reply to get runs and then you've got a proper game. But the fear is that, you know, you get 150 plays, 180 and then it, it might be an exciting game, but is it the high quality World Test Championship final that you want? That's mm. what I'm not sure about. Yeah, I mean, we just need Lee Fortis to, to roll out an absolutely classic oval pitch, don't we? <laughs> and it, and, and then I guess in one sense, it's good that it's here rather than at Lords because the oval, I know last year's pitch was a, a spicy one but uh in general uh it's been a bit easier to score runs here i think i would make australia quite significant favorites i think i think if india had boomer and pant it would be much closer but i think australia would still be slight favorites now i think because you're obviously thinking back to how well india competed in 2021 but there are quite a lot that's different since then i guess firstly those players that are out and also just Kara hall's form having dropped off so significantly um, I think that Sunil Gavaskar suggested that he should take the gloves, which I quite like as an idea. Actually, I know I know that with some of the Australians, you're looking at uh, can they score runs here as well. But you've got Smith proven in England, Labuschagne. I know he didn't get 129, but it was very good. Kawadras looks like he can get it anywhere. Heads in the form of his life. I think I would back Australia to be able to, and that they'll have a better bowling attack as well because without Bumrah in these sorts of conditions, they'll be. Yeah, that's a much stronger attack, I would say, and a better batting lineup. So, how, how do you feel about the Ashes? I think we, we're allowed to talk about the Ashes now. Uh, England, Are we officially? England, England only have one Test match before then. Australia <laughs> have only got one Test match before then. I, I feel like the vibe in England is that England are favourites, but I also think this is the best Australia team since 2005, or at least the best Australia side to tour England since 2005. And going on what's just happened in India, I think it's really significant that a few players who haven't had that much success outside of Australia had really good series. I know the conditions are world apart to here, but Kawaja having that good a series, uh, Travis Head scoring runs, Cam Green doing well at the end of the series. Um, I think that's just quite significant ahead of the summer to come because I think we're quite used to basically Australia being Smith plus maybe one other when they come over here. But it feels like Australia might have more than that this time. Yeah, I'm still not sure anything that Kawaja has done over the last 18 months, which, you know, don't get me wrong, has been absolutely brilliant, shows that he can now play the seeming ball in English conditions. Like, he ha- he hasn't passed that test yet. It's not to say he can't, but he has tried quite a lot in the past and it hasn't hasn't succeeded. Uh, so I don't think there's any guarantee that he comes here. We know batting at the top of the order in, in these conditions is incredibly tough uh, and being in great form helps, but it doesn't it's not it doesn't solve everything. Uh same with heads again. I mean, he's 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 not not done great when, in his few opportunities over here. He plays in a certain style, which you know could come off, but could also easily not come off. So I think 
I, th- I was just thinking, is it the best side since 2005? That sounds a big statement, but I can't think of a, a better one. I completely agree with you that there's, there's nothing to say that any of those guys will do well. But I guess Labashain is more established than he was in 2019. He, he obviously didn't start the 2019 series. Um, and the bowling attack isn't quite 100% at the moment. It's still got fitness issues over Hazelwood. They, ha- they haven't really played as a whole pack for a while. You could see Boland doing very well over, exactly. over here. Yeah, I and mean, I think if we think that Australia haven't won a test series over here since 2001... This at this moment in time with the England Test team as it is doesn't feel the time that that's going to change. Really, it's not say it can't, but it doesn't feel that way. Uh, and I, I would go, yeah. I mean, do you want a score line? Are we, are we there? No, no, yeah, no, no. Oh, right, yeah. fine. fine. <laughs> <laughs> fine. Uh, I'm not going to hold you. You don't want my now. top run score. <laughs> not, my top not, not ben, I thought you made a really interesting point about um, Australia in close Test matches. So if you think the two teams are evenly matched, Australia just don't win many close Test matches, and that kind of has to come into it when you're looking ahead to a series where you think the two sides might be relatively evenly matched. Yeah, especially because England have won series in England like this before. You think back to that 4-1 win in 2018 against India when you had, what, at least three really good or t- two of England's wins in there could easily have gone the other way and didn't. And actually three of them, if you count the oval test as well, where India came back into it on the last day. And that's kind of... England, did, I think, are good at winning close test match. I know they didn't in that last test New Zealand, but in general they seem like they can kind of hold their nerve when it gets close. Whereas I'm trying to remember what the stat was. I think it's winning by six wickets or fewer or a hundred runs or fewer. Australia haven't done that in like seven years, I think, and have lost tests by that margin six times in that time. And like that that makes sense, actually, if you look at overall, because you can't really find that many statement series wins for, for Australia in that time. Like they've lost, uh, I think, three series at home, two to India, well, they, one they, to Africa. They basically obliterate everyone at home, yeah. except, but then lose to India and, and then and don't win in Asia. Pakistan away, but again, given what, what else happened in Pakistan in the last 12 months, that no longer looks quite as impressive as it did at the time. Yeah, and yet that's an Australia 11. When, when you look at them statistically and in terms of reputation, you've got absolutely loads of, of great players in there. In you know, Warner's an Australia great. Labuschagne will be in Australia an all-time great. Smith is an all-time great. Uh what you've got the, and, and all, all the bowlers are, are, are one of those two categories and yet that the results have not matched up to the reputation of their players I think that's why is because they can build up those numbers when they smash teams and when it gets to close games they haven't been able to do it I mean that could be a bit of statistical noise as well like it's not a huge sample size of close games but equally I think that and that's where captaincy can also come in and you know Ben Stokes versus Pat Cummins as a captaincy uh uh, face-off will could go some way to determine it as well, I suppose. And actually, that was a caveat I wanted to throw in there. So, Ben Stokes clearly has got... It's kind of like England's Neil Wagner, really. He's clearly carrying a lot of injuries and he he, he gets by and he knows how to manage them. But we know he's going to play the Ireland Test. So, six Test matches with the Ashes um, in a short space of time. Can he really play all of them? And if he can't, his absence now, even though he's probably less important to England as a as a player than he has been for quite some time in terms of they can probably cover his runs and he's not bowling that many overs in terms of what he actually means to the team and what flows from him that would be a massive 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 concern if he's not there now all the stuff that the players say it's all about Stokesy this Stokesy that he makes me feel this he makes me feel I can do that he's making these decisions on the field NASA saying it's the greatest captaincy performance he's ever seen at Ralph Indy if he's not there and you have what Ollie Pope leading England out or Joe Root, broad, It'd be broad. broad. I, I think I think it would be Pope. I think I think they've been at least the noise from within the camp is kind of suggesting that's the that's where they're heading. There was sort of that big sort of like 
Pope, future England captain, kind of media push that was going on. Broad said that he really liked what he saw. And, you know, Pope might well be have a, a very good tactical brain. I mean, he doesn't. But the problem is he doesn't. Much, but. And he doesn't have the, the career behind him, mm-hmm. the license to make the decisions that Stokes does. You know, Stokes can basically do what he wants. And if it doesn't come off, well, it's Ben Stokes. Ollie Pope does not have that luxury at this stage in his career. Probably never will because he's not that kind of character. Um, so, you know, there are lots of ifs and buts here, but I just think having one player who is so absolutely critical to the cause is not a great position to be in when they're struggling with injuries and fitness concerns in the way that Stokes has for a number of years. Mm. Well, I mean, all, all the stuff you're saying about Australia not having a great record uh, in close test matches, they've not got a statement overseas win. These six test matches present a massive opportunity. You almost think like this Australia era gets defined by what happens yeah. in the next six test matches, which is which is very exciting. Make live streaming cricket a breeze. Are you or your club looking to live stream your cricket matches this season? Look no further than Sport Radar's Frogbox streaming kit to turn your fixtures into professional quality broadcasts. Frogbox is the all-in-one streaming kit that makes broadcasting live cricket accessible and affordable for clubs, schools and leagues. Designed for recreational cricket, the Frogbox solution is the lightweight, portable and affordable product designed for clubs of all levels. Integrated with the Play Cricket Scorer app, all you need to do on match day is set up the portable video capture kit and live score the match on the app. The automated technology will take care of the rest. Stream to YouTube with high quality graphics and generate highlights of your greatest moments and connect with your community like never before. Frogbox professionally showcases cricket at any level while offering new revenue and fan engagement opportunities for clubs. The automated graphic packages have multiple displays and advertising opportunities available, engaging the end user and delivering high quality visibility for your corporate partners. Capture those special moments with automated highlight generation and join the streaming revolution with Sport Radar's Frogbox. Visit the website frogbox.live for further information and start reimagining the digital match day experience this season. Sounds very exciting. Bangladesh thumped England 3-0 in the T20i series this week. The big talking point, it's not really a big talking point, it was kind of the only talking point from an England point of view. Uh, England opted not to call up a spare batter following Will Jackson's injury, which left them with a really imbalanced side with Chris Wokes and Chris Jordan not really bowling that much. Uh, the thinking was that you might as well give Moeen and Sam Curran more time in the middle as batters rather than someone who's unlikely to play World Cup cricket in the next year or two. Ben, do you have do you have strong thoughts on that? Uh, no, and I, I mean England is that is that shrewd thinking or is that disrespecting the sanctity of bilateral T twenties? Well, I, but I, I I don't even think it's it's either of those. I mean, I think they basically just can't couldn't really be bothered. Essentially, right? That's, wouldn't, wouldn't that be disrespecting the sanctity? Yes, of- <laughs> that, 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 that 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 is true. Yeah, assuming I, I think, that there is a sanctity there in the first yeah, I'm place, not sure there's much of one. But. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 more the latter. I mean, is is this is this this is up there with one of the most pointless series England have ever played right like a, a team maybe not from Bangladesh's perspective no, well, no no from an England point of view and I, I we'll get on to Bangladesh and I, and I don't want to uh to do down Bangladesh achievement here because it is a really sizable one their first series win over England in any format ever is obviously massive and, and you know they are so good in these conditions they might have beaten even a full strength England uh but I mean it's just this, this is a series at the the end of a very very long winter when they've gone what Pakistan Australia back to Pakistan South Africa New Zealand and Bangladesh that's what six tours technically um and it's and and this is the the a, a T20 series so there's not even any sort of element of you know world cup prep in it really 
the next T20 World Cup is going to be in what West Indies and the USA conditions that will be very, very different to these. Um, and they kind of just wanted to, to get through it, hence the... Sometimes in the Caribbean you get conditions not that dissimilar to this, in fairness. Yes, yeah. I mean, but I w- we'll get on to conditions in Bangladesh in a bit, I guess. But yeah, I can... I guess the the, the thing is, is England clearly didn't, weren't that bothered about if they won or lost these games. If they were, they would have called up, you know, someone like Ollie Pope or Zach Crawley, who was, you know, Ollie Pope was there in the studio and you wondered, like, he might have been he quite useful. a T20i. Exactly, a T20i cap, a white ball cap for England. Um, but if you're an England fan, I can see why you might think like, hold on, I, I, I really like it when England win uh, and they're not <laughs> they're not putting themselves in a great position to, to do so here. Like, why, why should I kind of be caring about these games? And that is a difficult thing. I mean, we had the question about Butler and Mott and England's record under Yeah, them. so Chris asked, are results under the Mott-Butler era going too much under the radar? Only two bilateral series wins out of nine. I'm kind of like, they won a World Cup. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> yeah that, that's it. I mean... It is World Cups, isn't it? Everything is building towards World Cups. And, and Ben, as you say, some fans might be like, well, hang on, I want to see England trying to do everything they can to win. Well, they would argue they are, but trying to win a World Cup, not trying to win a bilateral series in, in Bangladesh. Yeah, really. but equally, I don't even see how this series helps them win next year's World Cup. I mean, Cup it's pretty negligible at that yeah. bit, isn't it? I do I do think they're in some players not doing particularly well. I think we know they, they have put themselves out of contention. Phil Salt's had a bad week. Yeah, Full Salt's had a, had, had not had a particularly, particularly good tour. And I think, uh, especially with a question mark in the ODI, for the ODI World Cup at least, about whether or not Stokes will come back, Sam Corrin's had a few batting opportunities and on those kind of wickets has really, really struggled um, in, in both formats. I think he had one good innings in the ODIs. But that I guess that is, is knowledge they didn't have before, potentially. And Moe and Ali's had a few more batting opportunities and he's done okay without doing great. So I guess they, they have learned some stuff. And we did talk about on last week's pod about how in these series where we've kind of said why they're playing them. Milan has kind of got himself into two World Cup squads by doing really well in these series that for everyone else is like, why are they happening? Uh, should we talk about Bangladesh though? Cause that's Let's the, do it, yeah. yeah. Uh, because the, 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 those celebrations in the second game, because you're kind of thinking like, you're look, looking at it from an England point of view and thinking like, what's the point in this thing? They're not really trying. And then, and then you see them celebrate like that and you're like, okay, this, this really matters to Bangladesh. And they did play really, really well. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's just worth touching on just, T20 cricket is so different in Bangladesh than anywhere else. Like I've got a few stats. So it's the only full member country where, this is all since the start of 2019, where more than half of the overs are bowled by spinners. Um, and then scoring rates overall in Bangladesh, it's a combined strike of about 106, which is... What? Yeah, so the, uh, the average the run rate is just basically sixes and a bit. Yeah. Bloody hell. Uh, I mean, well, because you had that series. This was, it, in a way, a quite a high scoring series, Bangladesh. You had that Australia series last year when... I don't. I can't remember if the team got to one thirty or one forty throughout it, um, which is not to denigrate what Bangladesh are doing and what they've achieved, because there's no question that the, these are their fair surfaces. In that you know each team has an equal chance on them, uh, and they are the absolute masters on these kind of wickets. Like they have batters who can get up defendable totals, spinners who are really really effective on these wickets, and Shakib is obviously kind of a genius who can both score quickly on these pitches and consistently and also bowl and be unhittable. I mean, that final over today, when he, what, is the 19th over, England are still theoretically with a sniff and he takes a wicket, goes for four runs and the game is done. That's the kind of thing that he just does week in, week out on these pitches. I guess the only question is, they've not really come close to making the semis in either T20 World Cup when they've actually been very good at home in T20i cricket and you wonder whether these pitches are kind of, they're practicing on pitches that aren't like they'll come up against in a world tournament but then equally like there, there is an aspect of that but also series wins in of themselves are 
achievements and things worth celebrating and they have won this fair and square and completely outplayed England and if there was a T20 World Cup played in Bangladesh they would be like right up there among the favourites for it. Mm. And and there are some players who you look at and you can kind of see how they would have a lot of success in Bangladesh but might struggle on pitches like Australia. So like Shanto had a brilliant series uh, across both ODIs and T20s, but he's not got the best record out of Bangladesh. But you see some players like Litton Das, Taskin, uh, Hassan Mahmood, who York's butler in the second game, you'd hope they would do well overseas. I, I get the conditions are very different, but they do have the ingredients of a side that should be doing better. And if you if you get slow pitches in Ghana, for example, at the T20 World Cup next year, you can see them you can see them doing okay. Joe, Joffre Archer was amazing in this series. What do you think his next six or so months look like? Um, he's going to be the main man at Mumbai in the IPL because Boomer is out injured uh, and so is Joe Richardson. Um, how how realistic should we be about how much cricket he plays for England um, with the Ashes in particular with basically no first-class cricket behind him since his return? Yeah, it's tricky. It's sort of trying to map a route that he can actually play some test cricket and it's not immediately clear. I can't see how he can play the first Ashes test. I just, I just don't see that he's going to get any Red Bull cricket. I mean, he could play the Ireland test. But I don't think he's going to get a game for Sussex before then, um, if, if if he goes the distance in the IPL. Uh, his workload is, you know, it's T20 cricket, but he is going to be, as you say, the, the leader of that attack. Mumbai Indians aren't going to be thinking, well, maybe we should give him a bit of a breather because we don't want him kind of getting another injury before the Ashes. He's going to play every game that he's available for out there. Um, I still think his, I, I still think there's a good chance that he plays in the Ashes, but I think it will be, you know, by the third, fourth, fifth test when he's actually got a chance to play some championship cricket for Sussex whilst the Ashes is ongoing. I think there were five championship matches over the course of the Ashes. So that's a decent handful of matches for him to get to get going. Um, and obviously so much of it depends on how England are going in the series and, and how their quicks are going. You know, if, if, if Mark Wood is fit and firing, then the need for Joffre Archer is that much less, especially when there's a World Cup to come in the autumn, T20 World Cup the following year thing with Archer he can do it all and you want him to do it all and, and this is partly why we're in the mess well we were in the mess that we were because he, he he broke down because he was being well it may have happened anyway but there was a suspicion was that he was being overused and, and and that led to some of the injuries that he's had um so I I think you know we might see him in one or two Ashes tests don't think he'll be at the start of the series and I think given the, the injury how he's had that would be a, a decent result really yeah, I agree. It would be a decent result. E- equally, like fitness and bodies and medicine are just weird things and things that you wouldn't expect to be possible sometimes just do happen. And sometimes players have a long period of lots of different injuries and then do just have a protracted run of just not really having any issues at all. I mean, you think back to Pat Cummins, who what missed like six years uh, after his test debut and then is, you know, bowling just like constantly at like high 80s for you know years after that and basically not missing not missing a game and and you it might there might also be a case that actually bowling four overs every few days is a kind of just the, the the tick over thing that archer needs like you also get bowlers who um go through a period of getting injured coming back bowling for a bit getting injured again because their bodies just kind of aren't used to it. i think chris wokes especially has struggled with that at times um and it might be that Archer, I'm not, I'm not saying Archer will play five tests, but equally, I, th- I think the way will approach it is kind of ha- have good people around him just monitoring his 
fitness and hope that Mumbaians take a bit of care about that as well and then just see how he is when he arrives back and if he is if he does arrive back and they look at the zone that he's in and it's not red I wouldn't be surprised if they do just say like actually yeah why, why not go in and just crank up at the speed of light against Warner or whoever it happens to be opening I think the other thing it's important to remember with Archer because he hasn't played test cricket for so long is that with white ball cricket he is an absolute world-class superstar top you know arguably the best fast bowler in the world certainly top three that's not what he was in test cricket it, there were some moments of absolute brilliance we all remember the spells at lords uh but there were also quite a lot of times where people were saying he shouldn't be in the side and and complaining about the fact that he wasn't bowling at 90 miles an hour all the time that's not going to have changed because he's been out for two years that's, that's only going to have got worse if anything i think that's going to be in england's mind as well that he is not a ready-made world-class test bowler at this stage he's a bowler who can produce world-class spells but i don't think you can expect him just to dominate an ashes series because there isn't really the 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 kind of track record to prove that's the case if they're thinking about using their best players in the best possible way they might decide well he's so important to us in a world cup he's he's just a bonus for the ashes and not much Mm. more than that i'm sure that's the kind of balance that people come to the podcast for at this point in the podcast we were originally going to hear from mark butcher who was out in pakistan about a week of record breaking run scoring the psl but unfortunately the internet is basically down across most of lahore at the moment um, so we'll upload a separate video on YouTube later in the week where Butch will tell us all about what's been happening in the PSL and also get his early predictions on how Australia will get on in the English summer. Ben, what's your moment of the week? Oh yeah, my moment of the week is from the uh, the Women's Premier League uh, and with uh, Sophie Eccleston bowling to Hayley Matthews and uh, it's it's a, it's, a, well, it's a ball that Hayley Matthews just goes, blocks back. Uh, Sophie Eccleston has a sort of a, a polite inquiry and says, was that maybe boot first? And then uh, she sort of convinces Alyssa Healy to go up for review. They do. At first, you'll think like this is one of those very funny all-time bad reviews contenders because from the very first bit of footage you see, uh, it's just very clear that Hayley Matthews has, has, has middled her defensive shot and that's absolutely fine. Um, what's happened as well is that, so she's middled the defensive shot. It's then gone and hit her boot and then hit the ground. Uh, what then happens is the umpire goes through the ultra edge protocol. <laughs> but what they somehow managed to do was to reverse the footage so because to begin with it went ground bat boot ground they've reversed it so it goes ground boot bat ground so all of a sudden they're saying like, okay yeah it's boot first you can go to ball tracking ball tracking still has the point of impact to the point when the ball hit the bat so <laughs> everything is kind of going awry here and yet uh Hayley Matthews is given out to begin with uh, and the only person who kind of realises that there's definitely been an error here is Sophie Eccleston. So the um, uh, as it goes to, I think the re- she realises that the error is, is kind of happening when it goes to ball track on the big screen because they wouldn't have done that unless they think it was boot first. And so when that happens, you can see her looking at it, shaking her head, saying, that's not out, that's not out. And then when the umpire raises her finger, uh, Sophie Eccleston is behind her, sort of like crossing her arms, saying that's not out. And then as soon as the umpire raises the finger as well, she then runs to Hayley, Hayley Matthews and says, like, just wait. There's basically like, there's definitely been something wrong here. Just hang about a bit. Uh, the uh, her Hayley Matthews batting partner, Yastika Batia, I think, uh, then makes the review sign again, sort of like seemingly saying, can, can we review that review, please? <laughs> and then they go through it again. And then it's kind of all, it's completely chaotic when the, when the thing that what the third umpire is saying, eventually they get to the uh, the right decision. Um, and then I think Eccleston gets Matthews a few overs later anyway. So, uh, but yeah, that, that was my moment of the week just because it was it was very funny. And also just kudos to Sophie Eccleston for being uh, 
for, for having a career ahead of her as a TV umpire, if nothing <laughs> else. I think we've only really had like one very close game, but we've had, I've, I've liked how high scoring it's been. I mean, Alyssa Healy was four underway from becoming the first centurion. Uh, she hit 96, not out on a run chase. Shafali Verma hit 76 off 28. Alice capti has been whacking it. She's not had a massive innings yet, but she's been scoring very, very quickly. That's um, a brand going nicely yeah. as well. Plenty of runs. Yeah, no, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, I have enjoyed it, but it would have been nice to have a few more close games. I know there's not much you can do about that as tournament organisers. And also RCB have been so rubbish that it is a shame when you go into games thinking like there's quite a high chance that this is going to be a one-sided affair and they're basically already out of it after five games mm. but yeah it's i think it's for me it's kind of illustrated just how strong australia's depth is even more than i thought it was like jess Jonathan, who's not really required with the bat for australia in t20 cricket has had like two innings of 30 or 15 whatever to win games You're like well australia don't even need her yeah she's one of the best finishes in this tournament elsewhere south africa beat west indies 2-0 uh temba bavuma scored his first Test 106 years, and he was absolutely brilliant. I watched quite a lot of that innings. And I know that 100 stat's been hanging over him for quite a long time, but he is quite a consistent player in quite a inconsistent and misfiring batting lineup. Um, but he basically fails as rarely as anyone in the world. Um, so I hope this is the kind of innings that he can use as a platform to go on a bit of a run. Well, it feels like, yeah, it feels like he's now found... It was just very awkward with the white ball captaincy because he clearly didn't really deserve it South Africa some good young shot makers coming through and, and he just didn't really warrant his place in that side and he had the kind of the albatross of the captaincy hanging around his neck now he's the test captain and that, that just looks like a much better role suited to him he's a really good test player the record doesn't necessarily show that quite yet but hopefully this is the kind of start of a, a chapter where he's in the right place doing the right things mm. um, and Ben you made the point that even though that it looks looked like two quite one-sided test matches in the end in South Africa's favour the cricket throughout the two tests was actually pretty balanced for a lot of it and you had some really good passes of play. Yeah, and I think I think West Indies, will, they, they should be disappointed that they weren't more competitive. And in a way, when you look back at, the, especially the first test, but also the second a bit, it was actually kind of decided on the first day and then it almost looked close and it was from then on. Like uh, these were quite, like they, they were good pitches for fast bowling. And as we've talked about before, South Africa have a side that is set up to have short games on those kind of surfaces because their bowling attack is so good and their batting attack is kind of brittle and West Indies are kind of similar as well. But I think, um, but yeah, that, but that means that some of the runs scored in the series were of a very high quality, I think, especially some of the South Africans against uh, what is a good West Indies attack. Um, and Joe, you're looking, uh, looking ahead to the English summer. Your, your moment of the week was from this test as well. Yeah, a really nasty freak injury to Keshav Maharaj, the South African spinner who... Uh, ruptured his Achilles tendon on the final day at Joburg. It was kind of an odd one that he had an appeal against Carl Mayer's turned down. Bavuma reviews the decision and they see it overturned on the big screen and Maharaj sort of heads to sprint off to celebrate and does his tendon whilst doing that, collapses in a heap and he's stretched it off. This is just the last ball before the lunch break. So it kind of initially looks quite funny and then you realise that actually something quite bad has happened here. And they reckon he's out for probably six months or so, which he'd have probably been, I reckon he'd have been in that World Cup squad in India and that he doesn't play all the ODIs, but he, you know, there once been options there. He's, he's, he's a good white ball bowler. Uh, and yeah, from a county perspective, Middlesex had signed him for, I think it was eight championship games in the whole of the blast. Looked a really, really good signing for Middlesex back in Division 1 this year. Um, looking a little bit like their squad, I would say, for Div 1, and, and he added a bit of extra class to it, and obviously there's no chance he's going to be taking up that deal now. So 
bad news for South Africa, bad news for Middlesex, and obviously bad news for the man himself. Looked really nasty. I, I didn't realise it was after a review. That somehow makes it even worse somehow like if, if a bowler is sort of in their f- follow through jumps up and then lands but when you have all that period oh god that's 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 i think that's probably if it's if it's during the course of an appeal i think you probably don't get injured in the same way because it was the, it was from being stationary and then pushing off that he's actually ruptured his tendon um do you hear my moment of the week yeah um so saturday night it's Forfarshire versus some <laughs> french side in the european cricket league final i was genuinely watching this I was I was at a friend's house and we kind of had a great day of sport. We watched the PSL, then we watched the Six Nations, then we watched the bit of the Premier League, and then we're like, "What's what's on?" Scrolling the channels, we find that <laughs> it's Forfarshire versus some French side in the European Cricket League uh, final. Very high scoring, uh, tiny boundaries. I'm kind of amazed that cricket at that level is broadcast at such a high standard. But some of the cricket is really good. But some of it's not great and it's all on Astro. But you've got also quite a lot of people there because obviously the, the cricket's been played in Malaga. Um, so it's obviously quite a nice place to go. And I'm sure so everyone people, sort involved... of people wandering through rather than... <laughs> yeah, becoming, yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Um, we're going to finish the show with a few... What happened to Forfarshire? Uh, I think they lost. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't manage to pull... Oh, so the moment of the week the was that it was happening. Did not happening? not I, a specific I, moment I from the watch, game. I did watch the first half of the Forfarshire run chase. They had Michael Lees They had Michael Lees who plays for Scotland and he got out quite early. So I presume they didn't win. You'd, they probably, you'd presumably had a few by this point given that yeah. you'd been watching sport all afternoon. Yeah, that, that, so that was what Details fourth, are getting slightly hazy. That, that was our fourth major sporting um, viewing of the day. I'm um, going to finish the show with a few emails that we've we've had in so this is from jake good afternoon um, my name is jake and i run the runs for research initiative we are fundraising uh, we are a fundraising cause that supports alzheimer's research in the uk through the performances of club cricketers the idea was born out of my own love for club cricket and following the passing of my grandfather a club cricketer in his day who along with my father inspired myself and my sister into playing the game we all love Each player signs up at the start of the season, committing to a donation to Alzheimer's research based on the runs scored or wickets taken at their own club level. Each run is worth 5p and each wicket is worth 50p. 2023 will be the third year of the initiative and we have grown um, over each of these seasons. Year one saw just over 250 players involved from across the country, raising just short of £6,000. In year two, we grew to 530 players and managed to collect more than £11,000, bringing our total across the two years to nearly £17,000. As we move into the third year, our sign-ups have been open since the 1st of February and we're closing in on 450 players already signed up and we've still got a month until the season starts with a large number of sign-ups over the last two years coming once the season has kicked off. Um, you can go to runs the number four research.org.uk if you want to get involved. We'll leave the link in the description. That sounds like quite a, a fun and worthy cause to get behind. We got a email in from uh, Simon from Australia. He says, hello, podcast team. Great show as always. I've listened to the show since uh, 2019 and your collective knowledge and the easygoing nature of the show is a true delight. One slight negative, however, I dislike football immensely and I find it difficult to deal with the fact that it infiltrates almost everything, even on a cricket podcast, it seems. This very small gripe aside, great work and keep it up. Oh Simon. dear, I hope he's not watching on YouTube with that jumper he has. That's true, that's true. That, <laughs> this jumper is one for the YouTube audience. We all, we all like football. We Some think. of us might prefer football, <laughs> to be honest. I think so. I think that's a conversation we don't really want to go no, down too not, much. Let's not open that um, can of worms. 
Um, but but thanks for the, for the kind word, Simon. And finally, we, we've also been nominated for some kind of podcast award. So the Sports Podcast Group have shortlisted us for the Best Cricket Podcast Award. Uh, and I think it's based on some kind of public vote. So if you've got one hour and 15 minutes into this episode, I reckon you you might like us and you, and you might consider voting for us here. So again, we'll leave the link in the description but if you if you go there sign in create an account i think it's free to do that vote for us um and tell your friends to vote for us even if they don't even watch the show just fix it Uh, just spend a couple of hours telling everyone you know anyway that is all we have time for on today's show cheers joe cheers ben this has been the wisdom cricket weekly podcast we'll be back next week Podcast Network.